With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast, the podcast that spent the last few days walking about randomly going, Stephen Gerrard, wow. This week on Heart and Hand, Stephen Gerrard, wow. So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast, my name's David Edgar and I'm joined this week for what promises to be a bumper, a bumper flagship show by two of my favourite guests, first of all the wonderful Mr Alexander Staff. Hiya David, how you doing? I am good my friend and the tremendous Mr Andy McGowan. Hi David, hi Alex. If I was a journalist then I could call you guys my A-team, get it, because both your names yeah. start with A. Um, and okay. we, will, we will come to... Journalists you know, are using obvious things to... There's so much to talk about, lads. Alex, it's been some weekend. It has, yeah. Um, Friday has obviously dominated everything, I think. Uh, so much so that the the performance and result on Saturday was, was almost secondary in, in everybody's thoughts after the game. It's uh, It's been quite a... It feels like a special moment it really does it really does um, feel like something that little bit extra uh, certainly a feeling we've not had in a long time no Andy I've like I say I made the joke it wasn't actually a joke at the start of the show it's kind of what I've been doing and like, you know we're, we will get into oh you know if, what does this mean for us what does his appointment say about it? we'll get into all that and we'll try and break it down as analytically as is possible when the host of the show is is completely fallen in love but this is massive and it feels massive yeah definitely it's it's uh, I know we've been kind of starved of a uh, feel good factor and there's been false stones and so on since since our survey started, but it really is a massive shot in the arm, and it's allowed the Rangers support to do what we should be doing, which is look into the football for too long now. Our support being forced to look at things that are not to do with football, maybe forced to worry about things that are not to do with football, and that's not healthy. It's not healthy for the individual supporter, as we all know and everybody listening all know, but it allows us to get back to what we want to do, which is support our teams, and, and actually look to the future with some some genuine uh, hope. I think hope's the wrong word, but some, some something genuine and the possibilities that lie ahead is is, is uh, for good for once. Been a long time since box office like this wandered into town, Alex. Really, it has. I mean, for me, I've I've thought about it, and I, I've been through a few Rangers managers in my life, and all of them bring that promise that, that Andy spoke about there of hope, all of them bring that until they do anything wrong then you can project onto them a bit of belief and you can think right, okay, if 
this person can do that. And if you're naturally optimistic, like the three of us are, then you go, okay, right, uh, look at that, that's a good thing, and you'll take it. But the two that have caused this level of bump are the current manager and Graham Souness. And that's no disrespect to the others, we've had some cracking managers in between them. But even yeah. when even when Advocate arrived, it was, wow, okay, yep, he's a good man. Well, look at that, that's a solid track record. He's going to be very good for us. And when Walter came back, it was, okay, that's interesting. Yep, good, we need a bit of stability. But it wasn't this kind of sheer head-spinning, heart-beating, everyone talking about is, holy fuck, look what's going on, that this is. And I think probably the biggest comparison I could say is that when Advocate arrived, he was come. We, you know, he didn't get talked into the job. He wanted the job. He he really wanted the job, and and he got it because we were the club at the time that he could boost his profile off. And I think with Sunis and with Gerard, because it's come after a period of doldrums, then it's it's more like a case of this is good for our profile as well. I mean, it's good for the, it was good for Sunis. It will be good for Gerard, but it's also fantastic for us in terms of feeling like Rangers again uh, yeah that's all that's all fair yeah I would say and it's maybe just because I mean I was a bit young for soon as I was only five six when he came in so obviously I didn't quite get all of that at the time um, I, I would say like Gwen came in with a certain amount of excitement and promise as well yeah. very quickly faded of course but uh uh, yeah, you know, because of his track record and because we just went through, you know, the, the kind of end of the McLeish era, which didn't go well, uh, that, that heightened that as well. But even all of them, I, I would say this is, I, people probably wouldn't agree, and it's just because of the change in the game now. Graham Sinus was probably as big a name as Stephen Gerrard at his time, but there wasn't. You know, football wasn't shown everywhere in the world the way it is now for for it to be quite as box office as this is. Uh, Gerard's coming in and it's probably a bigger name than any manager we've ever brought in in worldwide terms. So it's uh, yeah, that's that's quite a different feeling. Uh, and he might, by the way, be the very first manager we've ever brought in who is so financially secure that he doesn't really need to worry about very much, does he? Um, an estimated he an estimated net worth of sixty million. He could buy the club. Yeah, yeah, he really could. So you know, he's not—he's not, he's not going to be um, too utterly reliant on the wages that we give him. It'll almost be out. Oh, they're nice guys. Thanks a lot. Um, you know, it's kind of like freelance work almost for him. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's it's very very different. But what I found, what I saw, and what I think heightened the excitement somewhat, because there were some people on the fence. Uh, and when, it, when the news kind of broke, you know, natural optimists like ourselves went from, well, this is a risk to, my God, imagine this works. Yeah. You know, we, we've kind of went to that stage where we went, oh, wow, you know, the potential for this is amazing. Not everybody's going to do that. We know that. But after this first press conference, I think a hell of a lot of people who were on the fence have turned and, and really joined the, the Stephen Gerrard uh, Express as such because... He, um, he just exuded a certain amount of gravitas, didn't he? He just looked like a man who absolutely found himself comfortable in that role. Um, and that is something we've maybe not seen in a while. Andy, let's, uh, much as going over a fine meal and savouring the taste as they come back to your mouth, let's go back to that press conference on Friday. Um Glasgow was at fever pitch, the blue two-thirds of it anyway. Uh, actually, of course, and Celtic fans are always fever pitch when it comes to any Rangers announcement. But thousands of people turned out at Ibrox to meet him. Press from all around the world was there. It was carried live on Sky Sports News. Made the main news of TV stations in the UK. It made the news in America. And my uh, nephew, who has been on the show before, Donald, is a... Uh, uh, an engineering project worker over in Malawi and he said it made the local papers in Malawi, not just the national ones, he said there are people who don't, uh, there are villages where they don't have electricity but they know that Stephen Gerrard has been appointed the Rangers manager 
Um, Ibrox felt at the epicentre of the world. He strode out there. For bears our age, it was soonest. Again, it really was reminiscent of that. And then proceeded to, I think, just light the blue touch paper of excitement with his, with his words. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I know that before we live in the context of where we've been and, and uh, how we can view ourselves and how others view us at the moment, a lot of Scottish football, I mentioned the daily update on Friday, they quite like where we are. They like us to win the box that we're in just now, which is a, a kind of pale shadow of our former selves, um, hamstrung uh, to the point where the, the kind of notion that we could ever get back to where we, we want to be and where we were is a very, very distant possibility. And and they get their wee victories against us and they're able to laugh at us when they can. And even when they themselves have no kind of position to laugh at us, I'm talking about Aberdeen and Abs here, uh, even Kilmarnock. So to, to see us kind of grab the initiative by doing something so astronomically bold in the context of Scottish football and actually see him walk through the doors in the blue room, and it did take me and you, David, of our age group back to the, the days of soonest and him walking in and what a kind of astronomical thing it was for that to happen and, and there was a kind of a sense that uh, at that time that well this can only end one way and it's we always coming back and we always winning things and that's the kind of sense that we get just now regardless of anything he walks in that door and he talks the way he talks um, not only in his press conference, but in the BT Sport interview, which I thought was even better because it was, there was better questions getting asked of him. And you listen to him, and your kind of irrational side comes in, and the emotional side, and you say, "My God, I love this guy, yes. and I want him to succeed so much, and I can't see him no succeeding." But even when you temper it with the reality, which is we're up against a very strong Celtic, uh, a, a club who have undoubtedly. Uh, a, I don't know, a decade's worth of financial advantage over us and um, we obviously have our own uh, financial uh, kind of problems to get over or to, to, to um, kind of allow us to get to back where we were but even with all that you still sit there saying, I've got belief I, I actually go in in the next season we should be looking to win the league Whereas last season, with the best one in the world, with Pedro coming in, you're thinking, well, you know, something might happen, stranger things have happened. It was kind of hope against reality. So I'm hoping that it gives the club real intention and real purpose, and it gives us support, uh, an actual focus and belief, because what we've got just now in the support is, I don't know, I, I think it's just a case of we know where we are, but the reality is so biting that we don't like it, and, and that's why we... We kind of flounder. Uh, even if you go online, you see it. It's just constant bipolar uh, positivity followed by negativity. We don't know where we are. We don't know our place in the world at this moment in time. And I think that kind of puts us back to where we want to be, at least in stature. Now we need to do it in the football part. Absolutely. Um, Alex, I will admit that I am completely head over heels in love, as my wife, uh, Stephen, formerly Sally, Will will tell you, and uh, my, you know my my dog Maya formerly or my formerly Maya now Stephen, uh, my other two dogs Stevie and Stevie G will also tell you. But it's because it's intoxicating. That's that's the word I keep coming back to. It's intoxicating. I've watched the the BT interview I think four times. I don't know how often I've watched the press conference. I really don't. Um, so yeah, I, I am quite open about. I'm getting swept up in it. I don't care. Uh, as Andy says, it's been too long where we haven't had the opportunity to do that. There's a bit of sunshine out. I am going to lie in it for a bit, and we'll, you know, it might start raining later. I figure that, but if it's going to rain, I'll get wet regardless. But there will be people listening. Valid points will be coming to their mind, which is this is a gamble. This is not what we should have been doing. We should have gone for someone who's more experienced, and. They are valid points. What's your thoughts on them? I'll get Alex's first and then yours, Andy. Um, okay, so I went into the press conference. I've got this weird thing about, you know, when when I can feel the emotions kicking in and I can feel that side of things, there's this kind of rational part of my brain goes, right, calm the fuck down, you. Let's try and be a bit smart about this. I don't like it, but that's the way I am. So... I watched that first press conference live and the the minute he was asked that 
very stupid. Do you think, are you confident you're the man for this job? Question that every new manager gets asked. I would love it, honestly love it. One day, just please, if there are any football managers listening, and you start a new job and you get asked that question, please turn around and say, please, please turn around and say something along the lines of, nah, I'm going to fuck this, but these stupid bastards have signed me up for a few years, so I don't really care. Um, I mean, honestly, genuinely, that's, you know, Andy was right earlier on. The BT Sport interview was a million times better than the press conference because it was actual genuine questions being asked rather than just the generic shit looking for a headline, you know? Anyway, um... But when that question came up, we answered it in such a way, and there was a bit of bite about the way he answered it, that I instantly went, oh, I didn't realise he was like that. In the BT Sport interview, Dow Curry was trying his best to get a certain line across about, you know, this gap, this financial gap, etc., etc. And he was a bit short with his answers in with him as well, you know? Almost to the point of, right, shut the fuck up, I've answered this, just move on. Mm. He had this sort of and no one's going to argue with, with him was, was the feeling that I got anyway he's not likely to be someone that the press are going to try and get a rise out of like they did with Kishinia constantly he, he answers questions in such a way that I was surprised so that number one in terms of his ability to step up to this sort of role that eased a fear straight away thought to myself there's a guy who feels and looks confident doing this secondly bringing in someone with the experience of Gary McAllister and the regard that his coaching team that he's bringing with him are, are held in mm eases fears around his lack of experience because it's not just about Steven Gerrard it's an entire team so I get that he's the main man, he's the focus but he's making a big deal himself about how Gary McAllister's coming in with someone he trusts and he will heavily lean on for the things that he maybe doesn't know quite as well and that's fine, I like Gary McAllister I know that as a manager he's not you know, been brilliant but He's been regarded quite highly as an assistant and a coach and worked with some great names as well. He can't be useless. Uh, he would have been found out a long time ago if he was. Yeah, totally. And, you know, lastly, I think the biggest thing in the Scottish football is the players you're given. Um, uh, let's be honest here. Le Guin came in and Le Guin was found wanting in several areas, but if he'd got the players he'd wanted rather than the guys he was given, I don't think it would have went quite the way it did for example. Mm. Uh, and that's just, you know, off the top of my head. Stephen Gerrard's not coming up here to to work with guys from Accrington Stanley or, or the likes. That's with the greatest uh, respect to these guys. But uh, that's not going to be his target. Scene. There's no way he's going to accept that. If he comes into that role when it turns out that's the sort of transfer budget he's got, he'll probably just walk. So it's not going to happen. Um, so I think that in itself eases a lot of fears where he's going to be given a squad that can he can work with and that's the biggest thing that we've lacked really um, is it just about any manager can get by at Rangers and Celtic if they're given the players to do so Fair point Andy Well guys as you know from our, our fabled WhatsApp group um, my first reaction when I heard that Gerard was a serious uh, contender was that why are we going for an under-20s coach to an under-18s coach? That was. I've got it uh, screenshotted, all of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went to my bed that night and I woke up and I bounced out my bed and I thought, holy shit, Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> and um, it, it probably wasn't based on any kind of rationale at that point. This is where I kind of... I like Alex's rationality about things. He can take things and take the emotion out of it and look at it, which is a very, very hard thing to do. And I'm aware that I can do that myself, but I, I like to let the football support or the Rangers support and me take over because that's what it's all about. Um, so once I thought about it, and, and I actually thought King captured it quite well during the press conference when he was talking about ticking the boxes. Um, first of all, I thought to myself, well, here we've got a guy that is going to capture the imagination of the range of support. And here we've got a guy that, uh, all the kind of peripheral stuff about stature that we've spoken about, uh, he, he brings that to us. And beyond that, he doesn't have experience, but what he does have is he's an absolute born leader, mm. right? And I don't think there's any doubt about it. And we've spoke about the fact that as a player for a very, very young age, in fact, as soon as he hit the first team at Liverpool, he carried himself in a different way from his peers, and that's why the likes of him went on to do greater things than the guys that came through at the same time. So he's an absolute leader. He's a winner. 
being in that pressure pot at Liverpool, a massive club for so long, and being an England captain or being an England squad at World Cups and so forth, what that does is it, it, it kind of forges you and gives you tremendous resilience. He's going to need that here. <laughs> God knows he's going to need that up here. Mm. Um, he's, he seems to be absolutely committed to what we're, we're looking for him to do up here. He's a driven guy. He's single-minded. He's obsessive about excellence. And I think the fact that he's bringing his own guys up from Liverpool, and actually, I think that's an unheralded coup for Rangers in that we're bringing up the fitness coach and, and the guys that he surrounds himself down there. All this kind of stuff points towards the intangibles that we've probably been missing, not just in the club, but especially in that dressing room. The absolute undying will to win. The, kind of, uh, the thing that Sunus brought, Sunus, and I, I, I'm really sorry to keep harking on about the parallels, but anybody that was around at the time of Sunus and coming in will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. All they spoke about was being a winner. Every player he signed that stayed for any length of time was a winner. Anybody that wasn't quickly found themselves out the door. And what it done was it generated a mindset at the club, which was that second is no juice, and that if you're playing at Rangers, winning is the absolute. And I, I think we've paid lip service to that over the last four years because I think publicly we could never ever say, well, winning's still paramount, but we know our, our limitations. I think that was the kind of unspoken subtext. We knew we weren't good enough. And, and in reality, second was good enough just now. If we finish second this year, then that proves to be a decent season in terms of position. But going forward, and it'll be dependent on the players he brings in, but I would expect the players that are brought in to have the same characteristics that we see in Gerard as a player. And I would then like to think <clears throat> that we'll see a kind of spin-off and that the better players that we've got in our squad just now uh, feed off that and they actually bring themselves up to a level. And the ones that don't should fall away. So, as I say, my initial reactions, inexperienced, but then once you look at all the other things, as Dave King, said, Dave King said, tick the boxes. What you've got there is a kind of identical guy, what we need to actually shape things up big time. I was, as I say, blown away by the press conference because you, you both mentioned the word edge, and there is an edge to him. This is a guy who doesn't feel the need to prove himself to people because he knows that his reputation walks into the room before him and does that job for him and therefore he can just concentrate on what's important and you can tell that from the press conference right at the start, second question money, you know finances, batted it away like a guy born to do it and as as Alex touched upon, they're not going to be able to take the, take the piss out of him, it's not going to happen the fact that the rest of the world media are looking in, I think, has embarrassed the Scottish media a little bit, or they've embarrassed themselves in front of it, because the kind of shite that they come away with is being held up to ridicule by people who actually know what they're talking about. And they're just not going to be able to pull the shit on him that they pulled with Ksenia. Uh Then there's, as I say, the fact that he's a very impressive character. And he said something that just made me think he gets us where he said, I'm not going to be one of these managers who goes on and on about philosophy. We need to win. And that sounds cheap, but it's not. We saw that with Warburton, where the philosophy, not just to us, did it not in Forest as well, so it was him, it wasn't us, that it, it, it did trumpet to a degree. I don't think he's like that. I think he's a guy who just wants to win trophies. I don't get the impression he's particularly fond of Brendan Rodgers. And I think that that... that his press conference again when he was asked about him. Um, just, I'm fine with Brendan Rodgers, you know, and, and that was it. Just, just get that stupid question out of my way. I'll answer it politely, but don't bring that up again. And it was suddenly somebody that you just thought, yes, he gets who we should be. He has all the attributes that I think Rangers have lost. Because when Alex, you mentioned Paul Aguirre earlier, remember when a, a bad season for us that necessitated a new manager was not winning a trophy? Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that's what we've lost, and we need to get that back now. I am, you know, I could sit here and quite happily talk about Stephen Gerrard all day. Uh, again, trust me, people around me will know that I am spending all day just going Stephen Gerrard. But isn't he, isn't he lovely? But uh, I, I, we we should move on to how he's going to do that. And a lot of rumours swept Ibrox at the weekend, and we're all over Glasgow social media about investment, there was going to be a press conference today 
uh, on Monday for those listening later in the week. And there were going to be big announcements. Heard everything from David Murray, Michelle Moon was joining the board, uh, various random shakes, John W. Henry, you know, you name it. If people could draw a line to it that made some sense, and you can, you know, you can make a connection to, to all the names I mentioned there, then you can see it. Um, when that announcement came, uh, it wasn't, in fact, a press conference, it was a press briefing, and that is different. That is different. Uh, and Dave King said, uh, said that there would be a, a, six, a share issue which is going to raise £6 million, and that there's no uh, external investors at the moment, additional investors, people who are already there. Uh, Alex, first of all, I'm going I'm to talk to Andy about the, the finances of it in a minute, but from your point of view, was there something to perhaps be said for just mentioning that briefly on Friday and kind of getting it out, rather than allowing it 48 hours to breathe because in that time, expectations ramped up and people are disappointed because they had built it. And now you can say it's the fault of uh, us for going, oh, I wonder what it is, it's going to be X amount, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, you could you could say it's our fault, yes, but isn't there a little bit of expectation management perhaps that should have been performed there? Yes, absolutely. Um, even if they've made the mistake, I think, you know, of not quite realising what reaction is going to come to it, there should have been a louder noise about it not being a press conference for a start because that did raise certain images, certain expectations straight away. You're not going to call a press conference just for a couple of throwaway lines. Had they made the distinction between a press conference or just a little brief to the press about X, Y and Z, that would have tempered it straight away. Definitely. Because if Dave King holds a press conference, that's live on Sky Sports News at the moment given what's happening with Gerard, etc. If that had been a full press conference, that would have been on somewhere. So, yeah, uh, we didn't manage the expectations very well there at all. Um, definite mistake in that regard, which, let's be honest, we seem to be prone to. Um, I don't quite know why. You'd think we'd have learned quite a bit by now as a club, but we do seem to somehow underestimate fan reactions. Um, and yes, you're right. The fans themselves have got a part to play there in terms of, you know, being a bit more realistic themselves. But that's not that's just not the reality of the situation. So it's time to time to kind of, you know, get on board with how it's going to go rather than how it should go. Um, so so yeah, I, I would agree. Dave, McKin- Dave King and whoever um, in the media team made that sort of choice and leaked that sort of information made a bit of a mistake there, definitely. Yeah, I think. For example, the David Murray is going to invest, he wants to put everything right. Is the Mark Almond had his stomach pumped and they found two pints of spunk <laughs> rumour of our Rangers yeah. fans? You know, it just, you, you always hear it. And again, it's, it's a perfectly logical one. And he doesn't help the fact that any time a journalist asks him, Murray goes all coy about it and kind of eyelash fluttering, kind of, you know, says, hmm, I uh, can't really comment on that. He loves that. But. My view has always been, and look, I might be wrong, because if anybody could pull something like this off, well, you don't expect them to it'd be David Murray, underwriting the guy is pointless, but I just, I've always thought, look, if he was going to, he would have a couple of years ago. The longer it goes, the older he gets, the less likely he is to do it. And also, that he's, he's partners. Yes, his businesses are doing well, but the people that he's in partner with, and include banks in that, aren't going to let him. They don't want him to go anywhere fucking near it. So I've always been sceptical that it'll happen, but I suspect that up until David Murray is no longer with us, that I think this rumour is going to kick about forever. Um, and like I say, I can't 100% rule it out. A, a terror gripped me at the weekend. And I saw a lot of people saying, well, you know, taking David Murray's money or 10 in a row, what would you prefer? It's like, well, do you know the reason Celtic are up for 10 in a row? David fucking Murray. So well, I'd ask, I, I would counter that question. There was another rumour during the week, I met a name that you never quite mentioned during the list, Red Bull, right? Oh, well, yeah. So I'm going to ask the Rangers fans this question, and it's in relation to the David Murray one. Would you change your name, our name to Red Bull Rangers to stop Celtic one in ten in a row? I wouldn't. No, me neither. Andy? So, you know, that's a kind of similar situation. Bringing David Murray back in after everything that's went on, after everything he'd done at the club, is, is about the same. Uh, you know, if, if you're willing to say, I would take David Murray's money just to stop them winning 10 in a row, then you cannot say you wouldn't change us to Red Bull Rangers 
to stop them winning 10 in a row because that's probably more palatable in many respects. Yeah, well, Red Bull have never fucked us over previously and, you know, allowed us to suffer the biggest humiliation uh, of our history and, and a stain that unfortunately will never be fully removed. And that's the thing about Murray, he can't he can't turn it round. Nothing he does would turn it round. For me, and I'm sure there are people out there who disagree with me, but for me, no, never. Uh, it, it was unforgivable. Some things are just too big to come back from. And for me, that was one. But like I say, I think that that's just a rumour that is going to... Because he, he quite likes encouraging it. And, uh, you know, he never flatly denies it. And there's a reason. He, he quite likes to keep his hand in the game. But there is a bit of me that almost like the baddie that keeps coming back that that thinks, oh God, it's going to happen one day. He's going to swarm back in. And then people are going to fawn at him and everything's going to be forgotten. And uh, not for me. If you're people listening who disagree, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not for me. Andy, a uh, couple of things Dave King did clarify. The takeover panel issue, uh, he said uh, that there's some disagreement with the takeover panel. He feels they've moved the goals a little bit and that it's about him um, ring-fencing the funds in UK, um, which is something you have more knowledge about than I do, and that that's caused a delay. But that, regardless of that, it doesn't affect Rangers because it's between him and the takeover panel it's not Rangers the institution and the takeover panel yeah I think we mentioned this a couple of points back I think that the first thing to say about the about Rangers finances in general is that uh, we need to, <laughs> and I don't mean this to sound condescending because I know I'm in a, a privileged position to be on this programme and talking to the Bears and they listen to me we need to stop being hysterical about the finances and we need to stop being hysterical about King and everything else that goes on because the reality is that we're talking about 10 in a row and we're talking about Red Bull and all this kind of stuff and I know it's kind of fanciful. My perspective is that the first thing before anything, and I include on the park success, is that our club needs to be run in a correct manner, get back to full health and then we can look at things, right? What I don't want to do is I don't ever want to be going to my bed at night and put my head in my pillow and wondering if I'm going to wake up and have a football team to support. And I think a lot of bears listening in, uh, to this will, will kind of resonate with what I'm saying there because that was the stage it was at, David. I think we all know that. Mm-hmm. So we need to really always learn the lessons of what happened, right? And saying that, where we are just now is actually not a bad position, right? Because what we've got is we've got people at the helm regardless of what you think of them, regardless of what you think of them as personalities or individuals, we have got people at the helm just now who I don't think would, for lack of a better phrase, fuck is over, right? I don't think there's anybody in the world that can come in and put money into Rangers of any substantial note with a view to making money off us unless they do what the, the kind of guys that preceded them try to do, which is hive off business, hive off... Uh, share issues, all this kind of stuff, right? So, and more than that, what we've got is we've got a collective. It's no one guy. It's no Dave King. We've got Dave King. We've got Douglas Park. We've got Bennett. We've got um, Park Junior. We've got a number of guys there that have put their own money in. And what that does is it gives you a wee bit of solidity in that you would need every one of those to actually turn their back in Rangers for something to go wrong or for them to do us harm, right? So we need to, as a support, start recognising where we are what we've got, and actually it's a case of better the devil, you know, just now, right? And we need to get back to full health, and by full health, I've said umpteen times in the pod, I view that as being a normal turnover, and we're getting there, right? The Hummel deal and everything else is seen as get back to that. So that's the kind of preface for what I'm going to say, right? With regards to the takeover panel, it doesn't affect Rangers, it's a Dave King issue. And I think Dave King's been a wee bit... Um, He's played a wee bit of development here. I think he's done what he's, what's been asked of him eventually, right? I think he's very much been obstructive. Uh, oh, he loves a scrap. To, to the, yeah. He sorry. A, he loves a scrap with these guys. Any, Aye. Yeah, he loves that. Aye. And, and, and I think we, we tend to say that, well, that's reflecting by Lane Rangers. It's not. It's reflected on Dave King. And all it says is that guys are stubborn bastard and, and they want to be pushed about. And to be honest, that's what we probably need at this moment in time is a guy at the top of the, t- the, the tree 
that actually says, well, actually, we'll, we'll act in our own best interest, and in my best interest will not get shoved about. Because let's not forget how the takeover panel thing came about. It came about because agitators. Those agitators were the guys that he kicked out. And those were the guys that were sitting in a gazebo in the middle of the park because they were too feared to face us at AGMs. So let's not forget that. Let's not get on Dave King's back because he's actually sitting there saying, Ken, what? We'll fucking put two fingers up to you all day at my terms. Now, <laughs> the takeover panel will not accept that forever. So he will need to play ball. But before we kind of go to this stage, I did suspect that the fact that his money was in South Africa and, and that they were demanding it to bring it into kind of UK account, I thought that would cause a delay. Because anybody that's tried to open a bank account in a high street will know the kind of hoops you jump through. <laughs> so the hoops are magnified when you actually do it um, in, in his scale. So, that, so that's why. I don't think it's an issue. I didn't think it was an issue at the start. I don't think it's an issue now. Um, but in terms of what you're talking about there, about Gerard and the kind of coupled presumption of investment that was coming and I spoke about this in the update that I said there's no way that Gerard is coming and you said David as well he's got fantastic advisors this is a world class sportsman that's not got Barry Hughes sitting advising him <laughs> he's got world class advisors there that will have checked out and done their due diligence and he's not going to come and put his reputation on the line for uh, free transfers and loans no um but the other side of that is that we as a support have to temper our expectations. And this is where the Rangers PR is so poor that you've said that for Friday to this morning, uh, Monday, we've allowed this kind of bubble to expand where all sorts of nonsense has been spouted. The Rangers fans need to, as a support, forget about the sugar daddy model. It's gone. We've actually got one. We've got a couple of sugar daddies, but they're doing it in a sensible way. Um, there's no going to be external investment unless it suits Rangers because let's not forget it's external investment that causes the problems in the first place the thing about Red Bull just an example Red Bull's a non-starter but even if it was have we learned nothing what happens if Red Bull come here pump millions into us like they did to Leipzig or Salzburg what happens when Red Bull say we're actually fed up with it we're, mm. we're back to square one we're, we're at the mercy of whoever wants to buy us we need to make sure that we get ourselves back in a position where we are controlling our destiny. And this is why Club 1872, regardless of what you're thinking, we need to back it, or for the Rangers for that matter, actually. Anything that gives us a block support shareholding of 25% or more, that's when I'll start to relax about outside investment. So that's a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's, as I say, because the expectations was raised and £6 million, in modern football does sound an unimpressive amount of money. I'd quite like someone to give me it, but um, I would be stunned personally if the spend, and that, that includes, you know, I, I don't expect it to just be in fees, but if we are spending less than 15 to 20 million in the summer, I'd be awfully surprised. And that that's just me personally. But David, what we've got to remember as well is that 15, 10 to 15, 20 million, whatever it is, Celtic who are the main rivals, have got the same problem that we've got. There's a ceiling. There's a glass ceiling. As soon as you start going for a player at two, three, four million, then the wages then become prohibitive. So it's not just about transfer fees. No. And Celtic find that as well. And there will become a time when it equalises between us and Celtic to a degree where we are going for the same types of players again. It's not quite there than now, but before the, the crash, if you like, invariably we would go for a player. Celtic would go going for that player as well because it was the same market we were dealing in. Um, I would expect there to be a fairly chunky um, transfer kit yet. And, and if you actually look at what we say, there's not been much reporting of what's actually been said at this press briefing, but I don't know who it was. It's basically, what he said is that we're thinking about six million will come for this year, that's you right. That's not the transfer kit, that's just additional funding for the club that could be used any way he wants. Mm. King actually says we haven't decided, we're thinking about six million new cash from the, from the loans. Unwilling to place a figure on the transfer budget, they'll be made available to Gerard. We don't put figures on that because we can't. So basically, what they're saying is, Mark Allen, Gerard, and the scouting team will come back and say, right, we've got this target in mind, and they'll be viewed on a case by case basis. And if they're within the realms of possibility, they might push the boat out. They might no. That's what happened with um, Pedro last year. Mm, well, I sincerely hope that Stephen Gerrard does a bit better than Pedro. I would be awfully surprised if he didn't, uh, in all fairness, when it comes to spotting players. Uh, right, to Saturday. Two, it's a game of football that we all love, uh, and whether we're getting swept away by handsome scousers or not, we picked up at Ibrox on Saturday to take on Kilmarnock. We hadn't beaten all season. Finally did. 
Uh, with a one 0 win with uh, my departing son David Bates uh, getting the winner a few minutes from time, and it was a strange game, Alex. It was um, it wasn't the highest quality football match you'll ever watch, and I, I thought there was a lot of effort from both sides without an awful lot of quality. Kilmarnock possibly should have taken the lead in the first half. A great double save by Jack Anik um, from a free kick in the rebound. Rangers hit the bar, a looping header from Jamie Murphy after a lovely cross from Andy Halliday, and that pretty much was it for the first half. Into the second half, Rangers, who of course were handled by Jimmy Nicholl and Johansson, who as an aside we should probably discuss because I think they're both, they're both leaving. Um, but they made a change where Jason Cummings, who'd been playing in a kind of number 10 just off the striker role that I really don't think worked, um, but he was ill. Uh, in his defence, he he went off at half time. Ross McCrory came on, and a wonderful start. But Ross McCrory, he made more tackles than any other Rangers player, despite only playing forty five minutes, which is tells you something. Uh, I thought he had a very good second half. The team then began, I felt, to dominate territorially. Uh, I really don't think Kilmarnock ventured into their half that often until they tried to to get a late, late equaliser. Uh, Rangers utterly dominant. Poor in the last third. Our final ball was poor. We didn't create the chances that you would expect from a side who did have the possession that the midfield was granting them. Um, Sean Goss, who uh, you know hadn't seen in a long, long time, uh, Sean Goss comes on uh, with about 15 minutes to go because we we didn't have any strikers on the bench. Sean Goss, probably the most attacking player we had on the bench. He comes on, we get a free kick, beautiful delivery from him. David Bates rises, 1-0. I thought we deserved it, Alex. It wasn't a great game, it wasn't a great performance, but there was effort, there was some guts, not a lot of quality. Probably what we've, you know, you can't really expect much more from, from this side that is already, I think, apparent that it's going to be broken up quite severely in the summer. Yeah, um, you're right. There wasn't an awful lot of quality in the game. I thought Rangers started with a decent intent and looked, you know, given everything that had happened in the past week or so, uh, being disruptive. And, and even the positive stuff like Gerard is disruptive. There's, you know, to the playing squad, that that's not a normal, ideal preparation in their mind. Uh, I thought they started okay, but then Kilmarnock sort of woke up a little bit there was one chance Jamie Murphy had just outside the box I don't know if you remember he dragged it just wide um, and that seemed to be a little catalyst for Kilmarnock because up until then we'd pretty much camped in their half and played decently and that, that seemed to wake them up a bit and they thought oh, right okay they're not quite as they're not quite as weak as we expected them to be let's let's get uh, let's start breaking this game up a bit and it became very stop start after that Mize a lot of fouls can I just say by the way I, I don't say this too often I don't say it often enough personally I get a bit of stick for not saying it often enough the referee was horrendous <laughs> especially in that first half he was, he was terrible um, I think by by reasonably common consent he's considered the worst in Scotland and that's looking at social media and other clubs uh, I think that he does carry a reputation Muir as being an incredibly inconsistent referee in his decision making if you've got a reputation of being worse than John Beaton as a referee, then you should just chuck it. You should chuck it. You should not be a referee. That, you can't. You can't. Like, honestly, if you've got a reputation of being... Listen, if you've got a reputation of being worse at anything than John Beaton as a referee, anything at all in life, guys, for, 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 all the ladies and gentlemen listening, if there's anything you do in your life that other people tell you you are worse than John Beaton as, you're worse at that than John Beaton as a referee, stop doing it. I think that's going to become um, a new. That's going to become my new insult. For uh, that was worse <laughs> than John Beaton. That's yeah, going to become yeah, new, simple as that. Yeah, yeah, that was worse than John Beaton. But it's like, how, how was your meal? It was worse than John Beaton. I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. We'll, we'll we'll give you your money back. But yeah, yeah just and some compensation as well, please. Yeah, just a piss poor referee. You're right. And and look, fucking hell, we we it's a weekend full of it, isn't it? But uh, uh, they're just awful. They're just really bad at refereeing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and as I say, I, I get a bit of stick for not saying it often enough um, from from some because I don't quite. I think sometimes you know I expect referees to make mistakes, so I don't get quite as wound up when they do. But he was horrendous, absolutely horrendous, uh, and that helped ruin the game in the first half. Uh, I think Kilmarnock recognised that and dealt with that a bit better than we did. 
uh, started to win, you know, daft little fouls, stuff like that. Jack Aaron's save was, was excellent, that kept us in it. Second half, you're right, I thought we deserved the win, but it just wasn't great quality. There's a little bit of imbalance in the team at the moment. Um, I've seen Jamie, Jamie Murphy take a bit of stick in social media from many people from the game on Saturday. Now, I thought Murphy done OK. When you look back at the highlights, he's involved in quite a bit of our best attacking play. But he was building up a relationship with Declan John on the left-hand side. That's now been broken up. It's Halliday's in there. Halliday's kind of finding his feet at left-back again. I know he's played it before, but it's been a while. Uh, and you can see there's a bit... You know, Murphy likes guys that overlap so that you can then cut inside in the space that they're leaving. Halliday didn't start to overlap until out of the second half. He never went by Murphy once until after that point. And it sort of, you know, crowded Murphy out any time. He has natural games to cut inside and there was no one taking bodies away for him to run into. So, you know, things like that, people, you know, you, you can focus on one player, but there's just that bit of imbalance in the squad at the moment. A little bit of lack of continuity. Uh, yet again, another central defensive partnership. I know they've played together before, but it's a change from the game before, which was, you know... Uh, all of these things, they add up. They definitely add up to, to expected quality and confidence in a squad. And this is a squad which doesn't have a hell of a lot of quality and confidence. So, so yeah, you're right. We deserved the win, but anybody thinking we were going to play brilliantly on the day would have been you know, quite, uh, quite far more optimistic than I am, let's say that. Uh, because... The, it was just it, all the, everything pointed towards the sort of match that we got, and I was just kind of thankful we managed the three points in the end. And honestly, and uh, it was about the win. We haven't beaten Kilmarnock all season, and I thought Kelly in the second half particularly really defended well, but sat in for the draw. I think when they took off Boyd, look, he wasn't having a good game, but he is talismanic to them. I thought that was an indication they replaced him with a midfielder, and I think that was. We are quite happy with a point. If we nick one, great. If we don't, fine. We won't concede. So credit to Rangers for, for keeping going. And something that they haven't done enough. They showed a bit of heart. They did keep going. They kept fighting. Um, I thought the second half was decent. And I've watched the game back because although we don't create as much as we should, it's because of a lack of a good quality final ball which is a concern, we know that but it's a limited team, there's no point kidding ourselves on here but I was impressed with the midfield uh, up against a good midfield much vaunted, you know, we've gone on about Mullen but uh, Chibola's a good player as well but I thought that the three of them got stuck in Dorans, who had a very, very poor first half was better in the second half, still wasn't great but I thought McCrory who has struggled lately I think mainly due to fitness but it was on Saturday I felt his talent shone through and I think ends the debate about whether or not he's a centre-back or a defender. Aye, McCrory in the second half, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say kind of changed the game for us because what he brought in was lots of bite. Um, I know that's not saying much in our team because we're not exactly a physical team but he, he came in started putting the cell about and they actually let their midfield know that actually you're not going to get it all your own way. Um, it also allowed us to move Dorans up the park a wee bit. I was um, I was really disappointed with Dorans in the first half. I thought it was uh, it was very poor. J- just by the very fact that most of the stuff that came through him was getting passed back the way. I, I want to see him take responsibility and do what Jamie Murphy does, which is take people, not take people on, but actually try and make things happen. Not to be content to pass the buck. Um, and I think he gets more opportunity to, to actually be creative when he's further up the park. So, so McCrory brought coming on in the second half just gave a wee bit more balance to the midfield and helped counter, as you say, Davis, Kamarnock's very strong midfield. I think Kamarnock are a, had an exceptional season, isn't he? They're getting away with it. And, and Clark's made a huge, huge difference to him because what we shouldn't forget is they're extremely streetwise. Mm. And that idea, a referee was letting them there. <laughs> and and this is one of the things that we are no we are no streetwise. We still try to play um, in a nice manner, and and we need to change that if we're going to be serious about winning things going forward. I think we will. Uh, I think we're we're going to have a a massive injection of that because you're right. I mean, Malumbu, they're not doing anything illegal, particularly you know, but they're they're, they're they're not kicking you off the park or anything. But it's as you say, the gamesmanship, the streetwise stuff, the the spoiling the game. Alex hit upon it in the first half when we were starting to maybe get a bit of a rhythm. They stopped the rhythm, and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's common sense. And 
as they dropped deeper, they had uh, eventually they had two banks of five. There's no other way to describe it, and they were kind of holding on for a point, hoping maybe Jones could could break away and, and do something for them. And it, it was it was a tough it was a tough match for us. It wasn't an easy watch, but three points was all that mattered. We now go into the game tomorrow night uh, against Aberdeen at Pataudry, and a strange one because Aberdeen have had on paper a good season um, they're going for second uh, there's grumblings from their fans though because Aberdeen consistently knock off the teams below them and lose to Rangers and Celtic Rangers have got 9 points from this already this season uh, they are a little bit of a a conundrum in that regard and on paper you say this is a very difficult game and that yet you look at the last three matches, even four of the last five, and you think, is it? It's an odd one to call, Alex. It is, yeah. Um, it's hard, because every time I kind of look at Aberdeen and, and try to analyse them a little bit, as you say, get in with form and stuff like that, all of that seems to go out the window the minute they're playing ourselves or Celtic. Uh, they can be in really, really good form, and then they just don't seem to bring that to those matches. In saying that, I look at our team at the moment, and I just wonder if, you know, are we going to have enough about us to, to go and affect the game, even if Aberdeen don't play that well? It's a, this one, Aberdeen are a conundrum, but we, we kind of became one as well in the past month or two uh, in many ways. So it's a, it's a difficult one to call. I think that um, we're certainly capable of beating Aberdeen at Pataudry, even with what we've got in the moment. We've proven that. I think that... Uh, Jimmy Nicholl spoke about it being an absolute must win for us and I just wonder if this is yet another situation where we're relying upon players who don't seem to have that step up mentality at the moment to step up uh, and that's a slight concern is that are we putting a bit too much pressure on them I don't know uh, you know I'm not saying that we shouldn't be putting pressure on them but I mean there's too much pressure for them personally uh, rather than you know, you know, there should be that kind of feeling of like, we really need to win this. The second place is vital. That should be there, but you know, I'm sort of worried about telling them that. You know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, uh, it's, it's a difficult one to call. Aberdeen made a couple of strange selection choices against Hibs at the weekend as well. Uh, Ryan Christie started in the bench. Adam Rooney started in the bench. Did a young forward playing in his place. Uh, Dominic Ball was playing in midfield, which he doesn't often do for them. So um, I don't know if the you know if they were actually thinking more about this one against us uh, than they were at the, the weekend against Hibs. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to approach this or if there's any injuries or the likes. But uh, yeah, a tricky game. And let's be honest here, guys, we just kind of win these two games done, don't we? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say in place, but in all honesty, just can we just hurry up to? Sunday, get it over in Burnley and, and then we can all kind of start dreaming about what Gerald's going to bring it's surely that's, you know, it's kind of the overriding feeling isn't it? It is indeed uh, Andy, Jimmy Nicholl, Jonathan Johansson take the team at the moment, I think it's pretty obvious that, uh, in fact Jimmy Nicholl said it at the weekend that he's going at the end of the season so it's a strange scenario for Rangers, you know, where we've got two people take the team until they're showing the door uh, we've got players who, I think it's fair to say, I can't think of any that have made a huge case to stay. Obviously, some of them will, but there aren't any, I think, that you look at and go, oh, we absolutely must retain them. And as Alex said, therefore, it's kind of difficult to invest too much trust because you really don't know what the what the mental feeling around the, the squad is. No, that's... Um... You would like to think that the players there are sitting thinking, I really need to start turning up now if I want to be part of this. And I kind of think there are many players that wouldn't want to be part of this. So it's really in their own interest to actually start performing to the levels that they really can. I think it might be too late for some of them because if, if anybody's watched the last 10 games or so the last season, they'll, they'll kind of have a body evidence that will say they're not going to be good enough for them. But uh, what worries me a wee bit for, for tomorrow night, for Tuesday, is um, up front we don't seem to be 
setting anything alight. I don't think the Cummins Morales partnership is as a partnership. They don't they don't seem to be uh, linking whatsoever, and and I think it's exacerbated by the lack of decent quality into the box. Um, I, I really don't know what's happening. I'd, I'd like to see Morelis play behind Cummins, not the other way about. I always thought Morelis was good dropping into a kind of deeper position, so I was a wee bit surprised on Saturday against Kamarnock to see that it was Cummins behind Morelis and not the other way about. Mm, I um, Didn't think it worked at all, in all honesty. No. But uh, we really need to be up for it tomorrow night. Aberdeen will be as always. They'll be rabid. The ground will be uh, the biggest game of the season for them as usual. So we really need to be up for it from from one to eleven. Alex, what would tactically, if if you had the chance to go and talk to Jimmy Nicol and Jonathan Johansson, uh, we've seen various things. You know, we've seen four two three one. Obviously, we've seen a diamond against Aberdeen work well in the past. We've seen. Uh, us try in other games a four three three. What what are you thinking about ahead of tomorrow night? I mean, I think it's probably fair enough to say Ross McCrory's played his way into the side. I'd hope so. Um, I wouldn't bother with the shape or approach that we took on Saturday. Um, I would be more inclined to go with how we started the second half. In many respects, have three actual midfielders on the pitch. Now we've got have a choice there because McCrory has to start. I think that's an absolute certainty. Sadly, it will be Martin at the back as well. Bates will start again, but Russell Martin will probably start next to him. I'd, I'd be more inclined to bring in Alves, but yeah, you know so he's not played quite as much recently. Russell Martin seems to be the guy in the shirt at the moment and doesn't seem to matter how many mistakes he makes either. He seems to be keeping the shirt. So, CLV, we'll just have to accept that's probably where he's going to be for these last two games. But... Uh, I would be inclined to have that slightly more solid shape with McCrory sitting in front of the two centre-halves and then our two midfielders in next to him as such the way that we did in the second half on Saturday. Now, we let Dorans push forward, but he was still playing as more of a midfielder. Manelos, to me, has to start up front overcomings. Um, he's just so much better at affecting the game up there, even if he's not scoring. You know, um, Cummings is very hit and miss in that role seen him have a couple of good games up top himself. We've seen him get absolutely bullied in games up top himself. So, to me, Morelos is more consistent at holding a ball up, bringing others into play. He's a better player that way. Get him starting the match. He's the one you start. You go with Murphy and Kendace wide, that kind of 4 3 3 shape. It's just the midfielders. I didn't think Holt was particularly great on Saturday. I don't know how you guys felt. Um, I thought any time he passed the ball forward, he seemed to lose it. Yeah, I thought, uh, I, there was one in the second half. I don't know if you remember. It's a simple ten-yard ball into the path of Tavernier, and he just yeah. overshot it, um, which he'd done in the first half more than once. Uh, Greg Docker seems to have fallen out of favour, which is frustrating for me. But I wouldn't mind. I'm a fan of Dorans, but it's pretty clear he's not at his sharpest right now. Goss played well when he came on and made a difference. I would not be that gutted to see a midfield free and uh, McCrory sitting behind Docherty and Goss going into mm-hmm. tomorrow night. See, if we went with that, yeah, it's a bit bold, it's a bit of a young midfield, etc. I'd be fine with that. I think I, when Docherty and Goss were playing well together, with Windass in front of them, there was always that feeling that if they had someone behind them, it would free those two up to play even better. You know? There was That's... always that feeling. And I just think that that, that might be worth a little shot. The, the, the diamonds were for sure, but if, if Josh Windass is injured, I think he's vital to it. Mm. He's, a, a, he's a different foil to Cummings. His pace up top was the reason why that, that kind of diamond shape worked. If he's not there, I don't. You're right, Cummings and, and Morelos are just not a partnership. They just don't want to play together. Um, whose fault that is, I don't know, but th- that clearly is the case. So, with Windass out, I think the diamond sort of doesn't really suit us. So, yeah, Murphy and Candace Wade, Morelos. But I would I'd be quite interested to see that. I suspect Dorans will start though. Dorans I suspect it'll be Dorans and Holt and McCrory actually. But I would like to Goss I thought done well when he came on and made a difference. So wouldn't be adverse to him starting and as I say, Docker he's proven a bit in the past. I don't know why he's so suddenly out of favour. This is, Yeah, this is just based on theory, right? It's because we we've not seen it. But I remember at the time thinking I would love that midfield three that you just mentioned because you've got your holder who can tackle and organise uh, sitting. You've got a passer in Goss 
and you've got a runner in Doherty and to me they complement each other because each of them does something that the others don't and I like it that is it too big a gamble on the one hand you might say it is but then what have Jimmy Nickel and Jonathan Johansson got to lose I mean they're, they're, they're not going to be here anyway regardless of what happens Andy so I'd like to see it but I suspect Alex is right that I think that Holt and Doran's experience will win over uh, no, I think Dorans is a stick on his start. I just uh, get that feeling that he's he's one of the first names down, rightly or wrongly. I would. We hold brings energy, but he doesn't bring much else. If I've been brutally honest, uh, and what Goss does bring is quality because he was on the path for fifteen minutes on Saturday, and it was his one bit of quality that got us the goal. And I just think he's a far better all round player than 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 Holt. And even if he does have a wee bit of deficiency physically in terms of winning the ball and stuff like that. It's just quite rightly saying, if McCrory's sitting there, then surely that should offset it. So um, I, would, I would like to see Goss before I would like to see um, Docker, to be honest. I just think Goss is a really good player and I think we just tick better when he's in the team and I've no idea why he's fell out of favour so badly. Um, I think we'll see the best of Docker next year rather than the, the next two games, to be honest. I think that it's... it's... <sighs> You need to look at what you're not getting as a team rather than individuals. And Saturday it was really clear that we were lacking quality in the last third. We were lacking that final ball. And if you have someone who can produce it, you need to find a way to get them into the team. And that's kind of where I would be with Goss for tomorrow night, Alec. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just that way of... We've spoken about this before, actually, when we were trying to figure out ways... When Morelos seemed to be going through a really bad patch where he's finishing... And we've got a finisher like Cummings in the squad. You know, we spoke about we should really try and find a way to get him in. It's similar in this respect as well. Candace will create chances for us. Murphy will create chances for us. But in games like Saturday, where they're not quite at their sharpest, or, you know, other things are conspiring, as we spoke about earlier, you know, they just that link up between Halliday and Murphy and the left not being as fluid. When that's sort of happening, you need something different. And right now, as I, I'm a fan of Dorans. I don't. I think he gets some undue criticism, but even I can recognise he's nowhere near where he should be at the moment. Um, I think it's a fitness issue. I think it's a confidence issue. I think he'll see it next season. But right now, he's not doing it. So, Goss seems to still have that. I mean, even from a set-piece perspective, mm. you know, Goss could be having an extra nothing game, but you still get the quality of whipping a free kick or a corner that's going to cause something, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, yeah, if let's find a way to get him in, and if it means sticking a couple of workers next to him and let him be the playmaker. He was excellent against Aberdeen in what was his competitive debut for us, um, you know, in January. And so, so it's not like, you know, he's got... You know, like we can say, oh, we've seen before he gets bullied off of that sort of midfield. He didn't against Aberdeen. Yeah, true. So, so clearly he doesn't. So, you know, let's let's try and find a way to get him back in. I, I think he done enough as well to deserve a start. I just worry that, as you said, the experience factor and such like might just come into play first, and they might think, oh, he done really well coming off the bench, so we'll use him as that sort of player again for this one. You know, mm. just saying he, he done that well, so we'll maybe this time around we'll give him half an hour or something like that, rather than pitching them in from the start. I understand the theories behind it. It's just, you know, for me, I, I would really like to see Goss definitely. I think McCrory has to start, and I would like to see Goss starting as well. Okay, don't lads. Prediction time. Andy? Um, I, I think we might struggle a wee bit. I'm going to go for a, a score draw. Uh, uh, Alex? 2-1 Rangers. I'm going to echo Alex's 2-1. So by majority, that's your bet. 2-1 Rangers um, for tomorrow night. Right, thank you very much everyone for listening. All that remains for me to do is to thank our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Myers. And to tell you that if you want to come and see us on Friday night in Dunfermline at the British Legion Hall from 7 o'clock to around about 11, then there are still limited, very limited tickets left, uh, the, the returns. If you go to Ticket Source, just pop it into your Google machine, Ticket Source, and then search Heart and Hand on their site, you'll get the tickets. The link is also up on my Twitter, which is at ibroxrocks, and you'll also find it on our Facebook page. Uh, it's not just us, it's Kevin Thompson, of course, uh, 
uh, Rangers hero and currently youth coach at Auchinhowie. Uh, lots to talk about there, so come along. Tickets are £10. And if you want to hear more from us, loads more in fact, uh, and I put our coverage up on Friday with uh, a lot of people's, uh, several, I think five shows, five live videos from round about Ibrox, and you can get all of that for one ninety nine per month. You just need to go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash heart and hand, and you'll hear a lot more from all of us. So I would just like to thank my two guests today. First of all, Alex Staff. Thank you, David. Thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure. Uh, Andy McGowan. Thanks, David. Pleasure as always. And uh, I'm away to dream of Stevie G. But before I leave you, Stephen Gerrard. Fucking hell. Okay, I'll talk to you again on Thursday. Cheers, bye! Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.